everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. So today we're joined by Alice Faibyshenko, who is a senior advisor at Funka's Think Tank and a founding partner of the E3 Partnership, a firm focused on market intelligence and advisory services. Alice also a former senior advisor of the Minister of Economy in Spain. And Alice, this is the second time you're joining this podcast. So uh, thanks so, so much for being with us. Yes, thank you so much for having me here again today, Carlos. As always, I'm very pleased to present some of the key points from uh, some of the articles that we'd like to highlight from this July issue of CEFA, which is the Spanish and International Economic and Financial Outlook, which is, for those of you who are not familiar with the publication, it's Funca's bi-monthly English journal. Uh, we cover some of the pressing issues facing the Spanish and international economy and financial system today. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And I think there's there's plenty in the recent report that came out a few a few days ago. And I'm I think we should get started with the new scenarios for Spain because I think there are some key forecasts there for 2022-2023. So what's new in there? What can you comment on that? What's new in the, in the report about these forecasts? Sure. Sure, that's exactly right. We've just updated our, our new forecast for the, for those two years. Um, so basically, after a moderate growth in the first quarter of 2022 of 0.2%, we're still expecting that expansionary forces will outweigh recessionary forces for the, for the year as a whole. So basically, for Spain, for 2022, we're looking at a GDP growth of 4.2%. That's actually unchanged from our previous scenario a few months ago. That's supported by a few positive factors on the investment front, as well as on the export front, both in goods exports and non-tourism services exports, and of course tourism, which is, which is making a strong recovery. That, though, will be phased out after Q3 of, of this year, especially on the tourism front. So we'll be looking at some headwinds going into 2023, for example, on the energy price shock, uh, inflation, some geopolitical tensions, and of course, the tightening of monetary policy that will all weigh on the growth outlook. So for 2023, here we're looking at a reduced growth of 2.0%, uh, which is actually down 1.3 percentage points from our previous set of forecast in March. So as we said, we're looking at less tourism, less support from the external sector, related to tensions between the EU and Russia and the gas cuts. But on the positive side, the investment outlook does look really good because we have support from the next generation EU funds. Um, execution this year is better than last year. But here I do want to make a point that it's important to think about quality versus just quantity. We want to make sure that the money flowing into Spain from the EU is being used productively, uh, towards projects that will underpin a sustainable growth in Spain. So it's, it's not just a quantity, a quantity uh, assessment. So, so things are going uh, or things will go as well as you thought in the previous report. You said it's 4.2% 2022 and slightly worse for next year, 2.0, which is a bit less than you, what you forecasted before. Is that correct? 
Yeah, exactly. I think this year we're looking at a, a fairly strong year in Spain um, for the factors that we discussed, uh, investment, tourism, and then you know next year as, as we start to see monetary tightening, tourism slowing, uh, potentially more shocks on the geopolitical front, we'll see, we'll see a little bit of a slowdown, but, but still at 2%. What could impact these forecasts? I know these are forecasts, and, and what do you see in the, medium, in the medium term affecting what you just described? Sure, that's, that's a very good question. We're just we're living in extremely uncertain times. Um, on the one hand, we have the war. There's question marks about the duration of the war, the, the ultimate impact of the war on energy prices and all the volatility related to that. And then, of course, we have doubts as to whether we're going to be dealing with stagflation and whether monetary policy is, is, is adapt to adjust to these challenges. Uh, with the increasing interest rates, we'll have households and corporates uh, who will see their, their leverage facing a higher risk in terms of financing. Um, as interest rates go up, we'll, you know, we'll see some pressure on, on, on loans there. Uh, although we do believe that this will be more manageable relative to the last uh, global financial crisis. Uh, as we said, you know, that will also affect the banks if, if the MPLs go up. But again, here we also think that the banks are in a stronger position relative to the previous global financial crisis. We have more solvent banks, uh, increased uh, efficiency. The MPLs, even if they go up, they're, they're strongly provisioned for. We have greater transparency uh, as a result of the, of the EU-wide stress test. Um, so the banking sector is in, in better shape. Uh, the public sector will also feel more pressure as interest rates go up uh, in terms of the sovereign debt burden. Um, although here we'd also think that the situation seems to be sustainable as long as we continue to see fiscal consolidation, deficit reduction uh, underpinned by the growth forecasts. And then importantly, we have fragmentation risk, which as you know, the ECB is aware of. They announced last week their, their long-awaited anti-fragmentation tool. Um, the transmission, the the transmission protection instrument, and um, you know it's a step in the right direction. But we'll have to see. There's conditionality that needs to be assessed. There's some difficult political considerations that need to be taken into account. So we'll have to see how that all plays out. There's one key point that I do also want to make about the situation in Spain related to stagflation, and that is that Spain is actually one of the countries that's least likely to go into stagflation within the EU. Because of, our, because of our reduced exposure to Russia, and that's also reflected in our fairly relatively favorable growth forecasts. So that's something that I think is a key, a key point to make. So not, not being so much reliable on Russian gas is, is a key asset these days that the winter is coming and, and there's this threat of, of Russia cutting entirely the flow of gas to its uh, European neighbors. Is that correct? That's, a, that's exactly right. Spain has a more diversified source of energy uh, than other EU countries. And actually, that, that, those tensions with Russia and Russian gas cuts are, are partly responsible for some of the, the more negative growth forecasts within the EU that we're seeing. Uh, Alice, move, moving on, I think we, we spoke in a recent episode about interest rates and how this would impact the real estate sector, households corporates. So now we saw the ECB announcing a remarkably high, uh, a, remarkable, a remarkable increase in interest rates of 0 0.5. Um, this is quite, uh, this is quite a move because this didn't happen in the last decade. And I was wondering how could this monetary tightening we're seeing uh, announced by the ECB, how this could impact the financial sector? 
Yes, that's a, a very good point. Exactly. The ECB's rate uh, hike was slightly above expectations. I think most people, a lot of people are looking at 25 basis points. Uh, generally, as yield curves go up, there will be an important impact for the banks, for the EU banks, for the Spanish banks. Uh, in, in, on the good news front, we know that this is positive for margins. We're already seeing that reflected in, in bank share prices. After eight years or so of low and negative rates, we're seeing those increased rates and rate expectations feed into people's favorable expectations in the banking sector. Uh, this is particularly important for Spain, where there's uh, a higher degree of interest rate sensitivity because we have a higher percent of floating, floating loan rate exposures. At the same time, on the negative side, if rates go up too quickly, then markets start to generate concerns, and that's based on two points. On the one hand, you have higher costs of borrowing, which we mentioned, the MPL ratios uh, could go up because there's more pressure on borrowers, and as we said, that seems to be more manageable this time around. Um, and then, importantly also, you have an impact on the public debt holdings of the banks. So basically, as the rates go up, you have losses on those holdings. And we're seeing that basically manifest itself. There's renewed talk of the bank sovereign doom loop that we heard so much about during the previous global financial crisis that's coming up in the media again. The fragmentation risk is exacerbating this, and the EU, as we said, is, is trying to address that with the anti-fragmentation tool, that transmission protection instrument. So we'll have to see how that all plays out, those, those, the combination of, of the good news and the bad news, potentially, for the banking sector. But, but on the whole, it's, it's, you know, rate increases will, will be, hopefully, um, on the margin side at least, uh, good news for good and welcome news for the banking sector. But what, what do you make of this increased risk for the specifically for the how, how Spanish banks are today? So the Spanish banks, they have a bit higher um, percent of public debt exposure on their balance sheets. So, for example, they have about they hold about 250 billion euros of Spanish domestic debt on their books. Um, as a percent of total assets, that's about 7 percent versus an EU average of 6 percent. Um, but there are some mitigating factors to, to potential losses on their public debt portfolios if interest rates do go up. On the one hand, you have duration, and on the other hand, you have the accounting treatment. On the duration front, Spanish banks have a shorter duration in terms of the debt that they hold from the Spanish, uh, Spanish sovereign debt that they hold. Their duration is about 4.1 uh, years versus the EU average of 4.7 years. So basically the amount of, of the hit that you take on the public debt holdings that you have is related to the duration. So the more interest rates go up, the longer duration you have, the more losses you might suffer. So if you have interest rate increases with a lower duration, then the EU average are in slightly better shape. And then the other factor is the accounting treatment. So in the case of Spanish banks, you've got about 10% of the public debt holdings held for trading versus about 14% at the EU level. And um, about 60% of that public debt exposure on Spanish banks' books is held at amortized costs. So basically that means lower volatility. As those losses on public debt are, are felt, uh, they're not recognized immediately in earnings. So it, it improves the situation a bit for the Spanish banks. And, and interestingly, these adjustments in terms of reducing duration on the exposure and the change to accounting treatment from held to trading to amortized cost, that's been happening over, over the, the last couple years uh, in response to the Bank of Spain's guidance. So, so they've been prudent in that regard. 
Thank you so much, Alice. I think you gave us quite quite an overview of how the Spanish economy is doing, how it's supposed to do over the uh, next months, and how what's the situation in the in the always. Uh, I was going to say delicate, but it's, it's not, doesn't mean it's delicate, but always you always need to keep a close eye on how the financial sector is doing when the, when the economy is under some degree of uncertainty as it is today. So, um, Alice, uh, thank you so much for, and I, I should say as well that there's, uh, there's a few more uh, topics that are included in the latest CEFO report, but of course we, can, we cannot cover all of them, but I'm going to include it, I'm going to include a link in the show notes. So anyone can 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 take a look at those those interesting topics. So it was great having you, Alice, in today's show. Yes, thanks so much, Carlos. Always great to participate, and thanks so much for including the link. And um, look forward to speaking to you soon. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well. <laughs>